Hey, did you know that in the movie The Exorcist, it wasn't really pea soup that Linda Blair threw up, but porridge dyed with pea coloring. What's pea coloring? (laughs) (laughs) You're in for a treat, let me tell. (laughs) Well, no wonder she threw it up, because that sounds disgusting, frankly. But hey, I heard it helps with the diabetes. Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, It's probably too spicy for you anyway, Wilford Brimley. Of course. Well, I'll tell you what's also too spicy for me. Movie about exorcisms and possessions. But today, we're going there anyway. That's the spirit. (laughs) We'll be talking together about some safe scares and light frights in an easy way to face our demons as we start this fourth season of the Pop Trash Podcast. And hey, it's just in time for Halloween month. Yes, our new season is taking a deep dive into the world of unexpected performances, focusing our Pop Trash telescope on TV and movie icons and some of their stranger roles. And for today, what could be stranger than celebrities duking it out with demons and spirits? That's absolutely right. You know, who could have predicted that time in the 1970s when exorcisms had their moment? Everyone wanted to be possessed by the same box office numbers and cultural impact that the exorcist had. So should we summon our better angels to help us shed some light on today's devilish movie picks? As long as they're Charlie's angels. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, I should have known. You know, for me, I think I'll summon Juice Newton's angel of the morning. Oh, Lord, (laughs) give me strength and let's begin. Welcome to the Pop Trash Podcast, where your hosts... I'm Eric Griggs. And I'm Mike Jones. Each episode, we take a pop topic and trash talk it. But with love, of course. And damn it, Janet, I love the vibe of the 1970s. Don't you? Are you kidding? I haven't left the 1970s. (laughs) Your fashion sense clearly hasn't. (laughs) I knew that one was coming. I I lobbed that up for you. (laughs) Well, if you're a returning listener, thanks for coming back for more. But we took a short summer break. Mike, did you do anything unexpected while we were off? Ooh, unexpected. Well, I did travel to Maine and I traveled to Spain. And I guess I'd be open to traveling to other places that rhyme with Maine or Spain. (laughs) Did you stay mostly on the planes there? Does Maine have planes? (laughs) They have aeroplanes. (laughs) Amber waves of grain. (laughs) That was my summer, though. What was your summer like? Oh, it was good. Um, I did one very unexpected thing. I fell in love with taffy all over again. (laughs) And then I bought 10 pounds of it. (laughs) It was unexpected for my husband, too. He was not pleased. (laughs) I think the words that were said were, where are we going to store all this taffy? (laughs) Was it Laffy Taffy? (laughs) Do you want the backstory on this? Do we have time? We have time for a backstory on taffy. Okay, I haven't eaten a piece of taffy in years. And, you know, as a kid, I have vivid memories of it. Did you consume Laffy Taffy? Yes, but just for the jokes, where do you think my humor comes from? (laughs) It it, it shows. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Little jokes on the wrapper. Brilliant. Anyway, so I was on vacation at a store called Rural King. (laughs) Is that related to the rural juror? (laughs) The rural juror, yes. Rural King. I was getting some snacks for the road and they had bags of taffy. And that banana taffy took me back. And so I looked up the actual taffy company online. Come to find out, they make 80 different flavors. 
80. The jelly bellies of taffy. (laughs) (laughs) Basically. So, of course, I started an order and you can get a three pound bag and make your own assortment picking six flavors per bag. So I was going to get one and then I go to shipping and it was as much as the taffy. But I was told like with 25 more dollars, I could get free shipping. So I added (laughs) another bag of taffy and I wasn't quite at the threshold. So as they say, that's how you end up with about 10 pounds of taffy. Taffy. <laughs> well, that explains the new vacation home your dentist bought. <laughs> <laughs> I will say there is a limit to taffy enjoyment. I mean, the first day that the order arrived, I had to, of course, try all of the flavors I had picked. And just even eating one piece of all the different flavors I picked taffy sits in your stomach like a rock <laughs> and i looked it up it's an actual medical condition on webmd they call it taffy bloat <laughs> <laughs> taffy bloat was one of the drag queens i saw in maine actually <laughs> it was like we were on the same vacation <laughs> well i mean seriously you remember that urban legend where they say don't feed gum to seagulls on the beach because they will explode <laughs> they can't digest it it felt like that oh my so God. <laughs> I, i've gotten much better at portioning out taffy when I snack. (laughs) So uh, thanks for indulging me. Thank you everyone for coming to my TED Talk on taffy. Stay safe. Well, the only reason I'm willing to do an episode about exorcisms and possessions is because you told me we'd be talking about Telly Savalas, Marsha Mason, and a mustachioed James Brolin. (laughs) Talk about unexpected. You're never quite ready for a 1970s mustache. Oh, I'm always ready for a mustache. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. But for real, what is it about 1970s cinema that feels kind of magical when you watch it? I don't know. It's kind of like, you know it when you see it, right? It has that kind of quality of you can pinpoint, oh, this was filmed in the 70s. Everything to me feels like it's got this orange tone to it, like the the orange of a Mary Tyler Moore living room that just like makes it really enjoyable to watch. Yeah. Earthy and smoky. (laughs) Well, with that, Mike, tell listeners about the pop culture collision course we'll be going through today. Yes, it's time to cast out the evil from three 1970s possession films. Two of them, Audrey Rose and The Car, came out in 1977. But first, let's talk about 1973's Lisa and the Devil. Give us a quick plot of Lisa and the Devil. I love that we're starting with this movie, Lisa and the Devil, or as some people might know it, The House of Exorcism, because it's probably the biggest movie today that we're talking about that is most closely connected to the phenomenon of The Exorcist being such a blockbuster success. So basically, you've got a woman played by Elka Summer, vacationing, traveling uh, in a community in Spain, and she somehow ends up at a haunted hotel full of all kinds of quirks and evil old women and death and macabre and the best you could possibly imagine of what I could call like spaghetti horror. So this is a Mario Bava film, and Mario Bava is one of the biggest names in Italian horror. And it looks like basically a house of wax type thing, mm-hmm. right? Elka Summer stars in it. Telly Savalas stars in it. 
Telly Savalas didn't start in Kojak until 72, 73. You would know better than me. I've never seen an episode of Kojak. It was, I think it started filming right after this movie was filmed, like Kojak started, which I was surprised when I looked up the sequence of his career. I know nothing about Telly Savalas other than he was Kojak and said, who loves you, baby? What is the mystery or the the appeal of a Telly Savalas? I mean, can can you describe the wind? <laughs> I mean, he's just a, a Greek powerhouse. Um, he's the, the ultimate, you know, 70s machismo, confident police officer, detective, although here he's he's the devil, right? Right, exactly. Or meant to be yeah, the archetype it, of. Yes. So Telly Savalas is kind of like, almost like the personal assistant, groundskeeper. Mm-hmm. Like he he basically... The valet. Yeah, the, he's every role that sort of runs this castle. Yes, you come to realize as the movie goes on that he is not just serving radishes and cake, what a weird buffeting that was. By the way. There's this weird buffeting where they have like they bring out this food, and I'm not kidding. The two things that I saw on the table were a bowl full of radishes, <laughs> and then this ornate chocolate cake. And I right. was like, oh. I think somebody even says, "Well, try the radishes; they're delicious." <laughs> yeah. It's like I've never ever heard that phrase spoken. But yeah, it, the movie starts with her seeing a painting or a fresco, and um, with the devil on it, and it looks like Telly Savalas. It's clearly painted to look like. Him. And then she meets him in the shop and she's like, oh, that's the devil. I, I don't quite know how to explain it, but I love the way the movie didn't quite explain anything. It was very stream of consciousness. It was so strange. I love that about this movie and 70s cinema that like it, it forces you to go on your own journey here. Most of the critiques of it are that it just doesn't make any sense. It's very confusing mm-hmm. and it kind of is, but through the journey, you pick up all the pieces, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, and this thing is full of camp, right? There's the way people oh. die, the, the sex oh scenes, gosh. the, like the, the, there's just a lot of schlock and funniness. Like it is, it is not scary in the way that like a Saw franchise, right? Would be, this is just like campy spaghetti horror. Yeah. The one guy getting run over and backed <laughs> over by a car over and over. You could almost insert like the Jerry Lewis sound effects and his face was like, oy, oy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you getting out of bed in the morning. <laughs> Pretty oh, much. Yo. Hey, hey lady. <laughs> Lisa and the Devil actually has very little to do with exorcisms and demons and possession. It's more or less about a haunted hotel that maybe has a curse to it and there's some past lives that are sort of torturing the place, is what I would kind of say. Where it gets really interesting is they couldn't find a buyer for it in 1973. So the producers had no way of getting this out into the world. And so in response to the phenomenon and the, and the just electric success of The Exorcist, someone, I think it was one of the producers, had the idea, let's recut this and add in scenes where Elka Summer gets possessed by one of the <laughs> spirits that is kind of like still haunting the lodging. And let's have her be so possessed that like she has to have an exorcist to draw the demon out. And then let's just insert those scenes in random parts of the original <laughs> Lisa and the Devil movie 
and rename it to something called the House of Exorcism. Mm -hmm. And it came out in 1975. It was intended to kind of play off of America's or the world's really fascination with exorcisms coming out of the Exorcist movie. I think there's a missed opportunity there. They should have retitled it, Who Possessed You, Baby? (laughs) (laughs) It's such a weird phenomenon to me to take a movie that exists insert exorcism scenes and create a whole new movie out of it. The House of Exorcism is Lisa and the Devil, but also not Lisa and the Devil. It's an entirely different movie. And when you watch it, you're just like, who in the world at whatever studio or production company decided that this would be a good idea? Because they make Elka Summer into like Linda Blair times 7,000 <laughs> with the, the amount of like vile, crass language that she barfs up a bunch of porridge pea soup. It's like, it, it is the weirdest thing that they basically did a carbon copy of The Exorcist and said, well, how could we amp this up and make it even more graphic and more lewd? Right. And some of the lines that Elka Summer's character says when she's possessed. And okay, sorry, I feel like we're all over the place here, but this is kind of the point of the thing. It's all uh-huh. over the place. Lisa, played by Elka Summer, gets possessed in this version and has like flashbacks almost to her time at the castle. And 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 there's a priest essentially calling out this demon that's taken over her. And I guess she's basically possessed by uh, a quote unquote one of the whores that used to <laughs> sleep around with someone at the castle. And so that's what they're trying to call out. And they just intersperse her more or less in a mental hospital, like tied to a bed saying these vile, possessed things to a priest. They were like, Elka Summer, do you want to come back for the craziest reshoot you've ever done? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And I'm not kidding. Here is one of the lines where the priest, who's cut into the House of Exorcism, says, who are you, infernal demon? What is your real name? And Elka Summer goes, I am the asshole of the world. (laughs) (laughs) They are saying words that like, my mother would have like shoved 30 bars of soap down my (laughs) mouth if I had even thought of these words. So which was better, do you think? Lisa and the Devil or The House of Exorcism? Lisa and the Devil is by far a better movie. It is still confusing as hell, no pun intended, Um, (laughs) or I guess. (laughs) But it's a much better and it's a beautiful movie to watch. The craft, right. Even if it's campy, the like the craft was there in the 70s. Yes. So Mario Bava, who made Lisa and the Devil, did not want them to do the House of Exorcism. He absolutely was like, no, don't do this. But producers, because they wanted to find a buyer for the movie, right, inserted these exorcism scenes that he kind of distanced himself from the project, um, which is kind of sad because I think Lisa and the Devil, like over time, people started to appreciate it, even if it couldn't really find an audience and didn't need this sort of like hackneyed exorcism plot line added to it. I am not a horror person. And I watched both trailers and I'm like, I'm going to watch the Lisa and the Devil one, (laughs) which I really enjoyed. I was not looking forward to either watching either of them, but I really enjoyed it. I thought Lisa and the Devil was a lot of fun. It was out there. It was really bananas. But if you just kind of like go with it, it was so enjoyable.
I want to talk a bit about Elka Summer because I truthfully didn't know much about Elka Summer other than the name. I think she was in movies with Paul Newman. She was in one of the Pink Panther movies. Wrecking Crew with Dean Martin. I did not know that. So it was really interesting kind of like reading up on her. I mean, she's beautiful in this movie. They do a nice job. She was a former pinup girl. I think she had posed for Playboy in the 60s. What I didn't know about Elka Summer, just in pop culture history, is that she also had a massively bitter feud with Jaja Gabor. What? Oh, do tell. You're going to love every bit of this. The opening line here, you're going to be like, what? Where's the movie version of this? <laughs> it all starts with a 1984 Circus of the Stars appearance. <laughs> no, stop. <laughs> so, Talk about unexpected. <laughs> so Jaja Gabor is one of the stars in, in this 1984 Circus of the Stars. And she gets on a horse backstage and Elka Summer goes, poor horse. Oh. <laughs> oh. So Zsa Gabor's account of this is that that uh, Elka Summer said Zsa's butt was so big, she needed four men to help her get onto the horse. <laughs> Lisa still had some of the devil in her. <laughs> it gets even weirder from here. So th- that moment, they both start kind of like hating on each other. And a few years later, Zsa is giving an interview to a German newspaper and was talking about how she didn't really like Elka Summer. And she said, Elka Summer had to sell her house in Hollywood and now lives in the worst section of Los Angeles. And then added that Elka Summer lives from hand-knit pullovers she sells for $150. Oh, burn. I know, that's some <laughs> sick burn for the 1980s. And then, not to be, like, outdone, Jaja's husband, he even added, like, fuel to the, to the fire and said that Elka Summer was 68, but looked like a balding 100-year-old grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> Two old rich ladies going at it. Give me popcorn. Where is the movie of this? Yeah, you're right. Well, here it gets even, if you want some popcorn, here it goes. Elka Summer sees these comments in the German newspaper and sues Zsa Gabor and her husband for libel. <laughs> and a court case plays out over years. And in the early 1990s, the court awarded Elka Summer like $1.3 million and then some additional money from Zsa's husband in defamation and libel. Isn't that wild? Oh my gosh. But how much did the horse get from Circus of the Star? (laughs) (laughs) No, darling. What is that? Are you joking? But what a random feud oh, in history. Isn't that hilarious? That's that is great. I love feuds. I just when when they're kind of like this, they're kind of dumb. Nobody's getting hurt. It's just people's hurt feelings. I just love it. I, I think we need more of that. There you go, Ryan Murphy. If you are listening, we need a new season of feud, and we need it to be about Elka Summer and Jaja Gabor. Let's jump up to 1977 and let's really get into some possession with a story about Audrey Rose. Eric, what is Audrey Rose all about? Well, let me let the poster do the talking. The poster promotion for the movie had these questions. Suppose a stranger told you your daughter was his daughter in another life. (gasps) 
Suppose you began to believe him. <gasps> Suppose it was true. What? That's a lot of suppositions holding this movie together, I gotta say. <laughs> <laughs> this stranger who's played by Anthony Hopkins is trying to convince this couple that their daughter is his daughter reincarnated. And at first he's kind of like this creeper who's standing outside of the daughter's school and, and they're talking about what they can do with the police and what he's about. And he makes contact and tells him the story and suddenly gets into their lives as their daughter is spiraling, having these nightmares, crying out. Um, so that's basically where we begin Audrey Rose. Mike, what did you think of this one? Well, I thought it was so weird when Anthony Hopkins asked Audrey Rose if the lambs had stopped screaming. Oh, God. Ease up, Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> I mean, this girl did not stop screaming. That was her job to do. The daughter was so whiny and annoying. It makes me realize why I'm glad I don't have kids, especially if they can be inhabited by former souls. <laughs> <laughs> we should start from the beginning here by saying that the unexpected role here is Marsha Mason. Oh, I love her. She's one of those actresses you can't quite point to like this is her groundbreaking role but she's been in a lot of things i guess the goodbye girl she did right after this yep she's terrific in that the following year she was in the cheap detective you know with my favorite columbo peter falk she was in a movie in 81 only when i laugh with another favorite of mine christy mcnichol but she's great i i thought she was the best thing in this movie well so she's the mother of ivy who is the daughter possessed by Anthony Hopkins' daughter, Audrey Rose. Right. I don't know. It started out as like a bit of a thriller, but then kind of just becomes like a little bit of a like meandering drama of of figuring out that this child is possessed or or inhabited by the spirit of Anthony Hopkins' dead daughter. And what are they going to do about it, basically, is kind of it. I kind of liked Marsha Mason's take on her character here. She told some paper a couple years after it was made, all I did was cry. It turned the picture into a Greek tragedy. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. Like there's this daughter who, you know, Ivy Audrey Rose, who is possessed. And and most of her scenes are just a lot of screaming, wailing, having nightmares, having things happen to her, like her hands start burning themselves on cold radiators, um, you know, freaking out in windows needing, you know, like basically to be calmed down by Anthony Hopkins going, Audrey Rose, Audrey Rose. I'm your <laughs> father, daddy. Audrey it's Rose. Daddy. Yeah, it's daddy. <laughs> <laughs> the the daughter is played by a, 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 an actress named Susan Swift who did a few TV movies. She was not like super well known and it's no knock on her, right? Yeah. Like it's got to be hard to have your first role be possessed 11 year old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it had an interesting concept. I will give it that. I think it, it was almost like it was trying to be edgy about the non-Western concept of what happens when we die. Oh, yeah. And that's what's funny is it's directed by Robert Wise, right? For this movie, he was like, I don't know if this movie is going to prove that reincarnation exists, <laughs> but hopefully it raises some questions. Honestly, I left the movie with no questions other than like... Uh, like, well, that was a good nap. <laughs> well, the middle of the movie, all of a sudden plunked in the middle, was like a treatise on reincarnation. I was expecting Shirley MacLaine to show up and preach <laughs> preach the gospel about many lives, but it was that was a little weird and heavy-handed. Yeah, talk about a treatise on reincarnation. I was like, oh my gosh, reincarnation is really trendy. It must be making a comeback. Oh, <laughs> did you get that off your Laffy Taffy wrapper? <laughs> yeah, but not in this life, in a previous one. <laughs> Thank you.
All right, we've arrived at the third movie that we're going to talk about today, and that is 1977's The Car. Mike, what is The Car about? It's pretty simple. A car is haunted, possessed, you might say, and is running over a lot of people in the Utah desert. And the only person that can stop them is Sheriff Wade, (laughs) played by James Brolin. Uh, And that's really the plot. It's basically haunted car terrorizes a community in Utah. Uh, They can't figure out who's driving the car. And then eventually about maybe the hour and 10 minute mark, they realize it's something unholy. And therein lies the challenge. How do you defeat a car that's driven by the devil? (laughs) Yeah, it's possessed. There's no driver, right? That's just no driver. Just a car itself is possessed a la Christine, which came later. That was 82, right? Yes. Uh, Are you three? Actually, early 80s, early 80s. This is 77. Yes, it's just a possessed car, a a possessed Lincoln Continental Mark (laughs) three. Imagine getting run over by a Lincoln Continental. I mean, the car actually looks a little vicious when they do close ups of it. right? Yeah. Yeah. The car looks good. But the way they have it hurt people or kill people is just so silly. Like the I don't know. There were some good there were some good kills by the car. My favorite was when it just like tears through his lady friend's house and runs her over in her house. Yes, that was actually good. And the scenery there, that's actually a great scene because you can see the car in the distance while she's on the phone. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, it's really good. That is a, a good you, scene to You watch. know what's going to happen, but I was like, wait, the road comes right to her house? <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's also very I was a little like unsure, but I went with it because it was amazing the way it flew through the house and just kept going down the road. <laughs> I'm going to assume this happened more in the 70s because it happened to my parents. My parents had a house in western Pennsylvania and a car drove through their kitchen. Really? Once. Oh yeah. my God. Was it a Lincoln It wasn't Bob a possessed no? car, no. <laughs> <laughs> but there's another scene where James Brolin, the sheriff, is like holding a gun and he's approaching the car car, yes trying to see like who's in it (laughs) and he gets close close closer to it and all of a sudden the door opens the tiniest bit and like touches his wrist yeah and he goes oh and falls backwards and gets like unconscious has to be taken to the hospital the doctor is like oh i think you'll be okay and i'm like oh you think (laughs) (laughs) not the best movie that's ever been made not the scariest movie that's ever been made but it's interesting. It was just like really, really fun. I enjoyed it. And it all culminates in all the the whole entire police force basically has to figure out how to destroy this car. I thought it was exciting. Them racing to, you know, get the dynamite in place and do all the stuff and uh, lure the car and all of that. You know, you can expect how they're going to have to all pull together to defeat the car. And I thought that section was really well shot and paced and exciting. I thought, I mean, yeah, it's it's campy, but it was so fun. I loved it. Oh, yeah. this It's a fun, like, adrenaline rush, a 70s adrenaline rush, right? Yeah. Is it going to happen? Are they going to, is it going to get away? That kind of feeling. Yeah. <laughs> Therein lies the mystery. Does the car really die at the end? Well, speaking of cars, I think it's time to drive this episode home. Hope you enjoyed this little road trip of unexpected performances at the height of the 1970s exorcism craze. Thanks for listening. If you still want more Pop Trash, head over to poptrashmuseum.com. 
we've got some great new articles and content made especially for the scary season. You can also find us on that garbage heap we call social media. And hey, if you or the demon possessing you would be so kind, head on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a review. Just make sure it's a good review. Otherwise, a Lincoln Continental is going to drive through your house. Just don't call us the assholes of the world, (laughs) even if we are. (laughs) You should make that your new LinkedIn title. (laughs) Oh, I already did three minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Telly Savalas. Who works for you, baby? (laughs) Please hire me. (laughs) 